In those days, the crest was in service to the Shade, protectors of Hotvale. As soldiers of the crest, we have been called by many names. Mercenary, Sword, Bandit, Killer. They all fit to some degree or another, but often those who use them don't understand the context in which they unleash their invectives. We are not like the common bandits you find on the roads. No, those are oft desperate and broken people, trying to survive by blade and by intimidation. We of the Crest are heirs to a grander tradition, a tradition that dates back to before the Shrouding of Aelfheim, when those who carried these banners marched out in Kiest's name to bring order to places beset by chaos, and chaos to places confined by order. Though our goddess patron is dead, and the faith that fueled this company has waned in her absence, we still fulfill that first contract that was laid upon us. To walk the balanced knife's edge of this world, bringing order or sowing chaos as needed. And if we make a little coin while we're at it, well, who can complain? Perhaps it is not so difficult to see why some confuse us with the common bandits and thugs that fill this world. But make no mistake, we have something beyond the common bandit. We have the crest. Welcome back for another episode of Errant Adventures. As always, I'm your Game Master and Solo Player, Steve Morrison. On this week's episode, Ben and the other Crest continue their escape from Veilwater. Find out what happens on episode 24, Floodwood. When last we left the crest, Ben had spent some time at the Griffin and Moon talking to Silas Wilberforce and getting a description of the individuals who the Kingsword operative had spoken with during his time at the Griffin and Moon. With those descriptions, Ben went to Stilton, the bartender at the Griffin and Moon, and tried to determine if Stilton knew who these people were based on their descriptions. The information that he got from Stilton was basically that one of the descriptions matched a man who comes into town from Hartvale on a semi-regular basis, usually has a meeting, and then turns around and heads back. He doesn't know the name of that man. The other two, he knew their names. One of them was a merchant who works for House Tukio and is in charge of importing various goods into Veilwater and then transporting them to Hartvale. That merchant has an office here in Veilwater, which Ben intended to visit the following day. The third description gave the name Gimbal, and Gimbal is a member of the Stone Throwers. And those Stone Throwers, we also discovered, are the same people who ambushed Iron Gull, Lefalia, and the other Crest soldiers who were following the blood trail of the missing Shade. At the end of last episode, Ben... And Arid and Orchid were reunited with Iron Gull, Lefalia, and the surviving member of the ambush. 
in the Griffin and Moon. And while they were staying there, the stone throwers arrived in Veilwater hunting for the survivors of the ambush. Realizing that they were outnumbered and outmatched, they decided to try and slip out of Veilwater and try to gain some space from the stone throwers in order to figure out their next moves. In the course of sneaking out of Veilwater while they were hiding, one of the patrols of stone throwers came by, including Gimbal, and Gimbal talked about how Fellheart wanted there to be no survivors, and that that was true of the Shade, and that that was true of these crest. So as Ben and the rest of the crest are crouched in their hiding spot behind some crates outside of a warehouse close to the dock of Veilwater. As Gimbal and the other stone throwers walk by and they overhear these things, I think the first step is, does anybody in the crest know who Fellheart is? So I'm going to roll a percentile dice on the fate chart. Our chaos factor, we are still in the same scene. So it is seven as we are trying to avoid the stone thrower attack. So I think it is likely that somebody in the crest, probably Iron Gall, but maybe Ben, knows who Fellheart is. So likely cast factor of seven, 44, which is a yes. Yes, they know. So I think Ben and Iron Gull share a look. And Iron Gull says, Elhart. Ben nods and says, the leader of the Royal Dispatch Company. Well, this is not good. Now, they know who ordered these stone throwers to track down and kill the shade and by extension kill them as well but they're not out of here yet now i think last episode ben successfully managed to make his role to sneak through the town so i think they're going to get away but before we do that I just realized that I rolled a 44, which is a match on the percentile dice, which means we get a random event. So this could this could explain how Ben and the others get out, or it could be something entirely different. So we're going to determine the event focus. I'm going to roll percentile dice on the event focus table. Two remote event. Okay, so this is going to take place away from this scene that we're seeing here. Now we need to determine the meaning. We're going to roll action and subject. Our action is 51. Overindulge. And our subject is 6. Overindulge reality. Or an overindulgence of reality. So, once again, we see the city of Davinar. It is a city much like Heartvale, and yet so very different. Where Heartvale was founded in a relatively safe and secure location, Davinar was not. There are open plains that lead towards the city walls, and because of that, there are battlements and signs of great war machines that guard the city. Davinar is, yes, a place of trade, but it is more warlike than Heartvale. It had to be in order to survive the time after the Shrouding of Aelfheim, when it was founded. We see this city, and 
Night is beginning to fall as these long rays of sunlight are casting down upon the cobble streets of Davinar. And once again, we see that temple, that temple devoted to a god who rules the changing of the seasons. And as we see this temple, I think there is a noticeable change in that structure. It seems even in the dying of the light, dark and foreboding, there are not worshippers coming and going in the same way. No, it is a quiet temple even in the midst of the busy streets of Davinar, we can see people passing by, and even if they don't know why, they are averting their gaze from the temple entrance. Just inside that entrance, Destrian Vidala stands with his arms crossed, looking out at the people passing by. He, satisfied that no one is paying them any mind, turns and walks back into the sanctuary of this temple. They've been here a week now. All of the priests of this god have been turned to their will. Vargosh is a god of chaos and decay. And it is so interesting to see how the mind flails in the face of chaos and decay. One of those priests, the one that they first spoke with, is standing in front of the altar and is praying, but not to his god. No. No, he is praying to Vargosh, as it should be. As Destrian walks through the sanctuary, he looks around at the other priests who are there. He can see the markings of their torment, and he smiles because they have seen the reality of this world. That there is nothing more than chaos and decay. The members of the crest manage to sneak their way to the docks. And I think they find a few small boats there. There are only six of them now. So I think they can probably find even just one boat that is large enough. And they are going to push off and row out into the open water and begin making their way along the coast back towards Hartvale. Now, they're going back to Hartvale, but they know that the harbor is under watch. So I don't think that they can just row right up to the harbor and make their way in. So I think they're going to make their way down along the coast. And then I think they are going to beach the boat and make their way towards that passageway. Now, Lephalia is a powerful sorceress. Would she have some way of communicating with the captain that wouldn't involve them actually entering the city? Because I think this is the important thing. I don't think Iron Gull is looking to retreat back to the city. I think he wants to get reinforcements, go back into those woods, and show the stone throwers what the crests are about. So I'm going to ask the fate chart if Lephalia has some way of communicating with the Crow's Nest or with Captain Netheridge. And uh, I think it is very likely that she does. Once again, cast factor of seven. 
77 is a yes, and it just so happens to be another random event because I got doubles on the dice again. So let's do our event focus. 82, ambiguous event. So this could be anything and everything. All right, let's see what our meaning is. Our action is 66, and that doesn't trigger another random event. So that's carry, and the subject is one, carry goals. Okay, so this is a random event that is carry goals. So what if Captain Netheridge intuits that they might actually need reinforcements before they're able to contact? And so he's gathering troops. So we know from the faction turn that the Shade were gathering seers and people who could divine what was going on in the wider world. And the primary purpose for that was to try and hunt down the Vidala. But what if one of them saw the attack in the forest? And so the Red Fox goes to Captain Netheridge and tells him that the Crest were ambushed, that Iron Gull and Lephalia survived, but that they were beaten back by these bandits in the forest. And so when the message comes in from Lephalia that they need reinforcements, I think they're already at that tunnel that Netheridge over the last day has been slowly sending people to that tunnel out of the city so that they could join Iron Gall if he returned to the city for reinforcements. Because I think Netheridge and Iron Gall have served in the crest long enough together to know each other's habits and patterns. And so when the survivors of the ambush show up at the city walls, there is a detachment of crest soldiers waiting for them to head out. So I think that is going to effectively end our scene of avoid the stone thrower attack. And we have kind of neatly avoided having to wait for a while in order to get reinforcements because I think there was some foresight that went into this. So for our next scene, I think the cast factor has to go up because even though Ben was able to lead them out of Veilwater. I think the fact that they had to kind of flee in front of the stone throwers means that there's some chaos going on here. So that chaos factor goes up to eight, which means there's even more chance of getting a yes on the fate chart when we ask questions. So I think we're also going to skip ahead a little bit to the next scene, which is basically going to be the crest entering the forest, hunting for the stone throwers. We're going to roll our D10 and compare it to our chaos factor of eight. I got a two, which is below the chaos factor and is an interrupt scene. So we are going to preempt the scene and we're going to roll another random event. Here we go. Our focus is 91 NPC negative. Okay, let's roll on our character list. I've got a D8, a three, the Vidala family. Okay, this is interesting. So we have our action, which is two, starting, and our subject is 10, starting good. And this is negative for the Vidala family. So I think we just see a quick scene of that same vision that we had before of the temple and people passing by averting their gaze and i think we see now that there is a second story window across the way from where this temple is located and there is someone sitting inside that room looking out the window and we don't get a look at their face but they are holding a shade coin and flipping it up in the air and catching it as they watch 
the outside of the temple. So that was our interrupt scene, and now we can return to the crest as they are making their way into the forest. So I think it's late afternoon on the following day as Iron Gull and the other crest, I think, took a, a few hours rest after they got away from the city with the reinforcements. And I think this is a group of a, an additional 20 crest now, in addition to the six that went out and survived the ambush. And so they are reaching the edge of this forest by late afternoon, early evening, and they start to make their way into the forest. Now, I think our question here for the fate chart has to be, did the stone throwers return to the forest after the evening and if so, are there still scouts and whatnot here in the forest that would clue in on the crest arriving? I think it is likely. So again, our chaos factor is eight, which means there's a pretty good chance that this is going to be a yes. 71 is a yes. So yes, the stone throwers returned to the forest and there are potentially scouts who are out in the forest that might be alerted to the presence of the crest. So, are the crest able to pick up the blood trail again and continue tracking it? I think it is a sure thing. 14 is an exceptional yes because of the sure thing. So they pick right back up on the trail where they were headed, but this time they are moving in force. And I think our next question for the fate chart is, do the scouts see them coming? Or maybe the better question would be, do the crest catch the scouts unawares because i think now that there are enough crests there are definitely some who are being sent ahead to range and scout for the larger group so with that in mind do the crest scouts catch the stone thrower scouts unawares and i'm gonna say it's very unlikely because i think the stone throwers are used to this forest However, I think the Crest are just generally probably better scouts because they have a little bit more experience and a little bit more training. So I'm going to say it's very unlikely. Cast rank of 8. 59 is a yes, actually. So they are able to take the Stone Thrower scouts unawares. So... What does this look like? I think Ben is one of the scouts who is ranging up ahead. He's quiet. He can move cautiously and carefully. I think that they brought a crossbow for him and he is carrying that. They are moving quietly through the forest and he stops and is peering through the woods as he hears something strange up ahead. And I think he sees a stone thrower scout who is perched up in a tree and is maybe like whittling a small piece of wood with a knife and every once in a while looking out across the forest. I think Ben is going to take a deep breath and he is going to line up a shot. And I think he is going to use his ability, their eyes never open. Now this is once per session, when you attempt to silently abduct or kill an NPC who is reasonably within your ability to reach, roll plus steady. On a 10 plus, choose two. On a seven to nine, choose one. Okay, Ben, let's see what you've got. So he brings up the crossbow. He looks down the sights and he is an accomplished crossbow man. So he's making adjustments for the wind and for the change in elevation between him and this individual up in this tree. And he, he slowly 
you know, lets out a breath and he, he pulls the release on the crossbow. And his steady is two. I'm rolling 2d6 plus that two. We've got an eight on the dice plus two is a 10. So on a 10 plus, I get to choose two. It is clean and quiet. No one sees or hears a thing. It goes exactly as planned. Your target is killed, abducted exactly as you want. You didn't leave anything behind or you leave behind a calling card. So I think it is going to be clean and quiet. It literally, the bolt passes right through the scout's throat. He kind of gurgles for a second. And I think he just actually like falls against the tree. Uh, So he doesn't even like fall out of the tree or anything like that. And I think it has to be he's going to leave behind a calling card. He's going to leave behind that bolt in the neck of this scout. And there's now blood dripping down from the tree. And Ben puts a new bolt in his crossbow, draws it up with a concerted effort, and then continues ranging forward. So... That, I think, is going to be the end of this scene, and I'm actually going to take the cast factor back down to seven, because I think the crest were in good control during that scene. The next scene setup is going to be find the stone thrower encampment. I'm going to roll my d10 against my cast factor of seven, and we're going to see how this goes. A nine, which is above the cast factor, so it plays out as expected. I think it's a couple hours in the forest before they reach the stone thrower encampment. And because of that, I think it's now dark. And they are making their way through the forest. They have eliminated the scouts that were between them and this encampment. And I think we need to figure out what this encampment is like. So I'm going to go to Maze Rats, and I'm going to go to the Wild Table. What kind of landmarks are near this encampment? So I'm going to roll on the Wilderness Landmarks. Got a five and a one, which is a pond. So there is this pond that Ben comes across as he is ranging ahead, And it's, I think, still, and there's a layer of green muck over this pond, and he takes a moment to pause and look at it and look around to make sure that there aren't any sort of traps or anything that might interfere with their progressing forward. Now, what is the encampment? So I'm going to roll on wilderness structures. Four and a two. A lumber camp. Makes sense. We're in a forest. So they are continuing to creep forward, and I think they find evidence of trees being chopped down and dragged forward, and they are slowly making their way forward. Ben stops when he sees firelight in the distance. There's an open clearing in the middle of this forest, and there are signs of a lumber camp. There's a mill, and there are stacks of logs that have been cut, and he is simply looking ahead, observing as the stone thrower guards are patrolling the perimeter. Now, I'm going to ask the fate chart this because I think it's a good question. Are the stone throwers on alert? I think it's almost impossible. I feel like they're pretty confident in their encampment deep in the forest. So I think they have a couple guards who are watching, but I don't think that they are necessarily on high alert. So are the stone throwers on alert? Chaos rank of seven, impossible. 55 is as expected a no. No, they are not on high alert. So there are only a couple of 
guards who are patrolling the perimeter of this encampment. And I think Ben is going to pull back and return to the main group of the crest and is going to inform Iron Gull and the lieutenant of what he saw. The other scouts who were ranging up ahead corroborate his statements and they are going to set about making a plan. I think Iron Gull is determined to end this quickly and he wants to basically sneak up to the camp and strike in the night. I think Lafalia is 100% on board with that. Stealth and Trickery are totally fine with her. So they are going to make this plan and they are going to move their way towards the encampment. And I think we're going to once again try and take out these guards. Now, I've already used my Their Eyes Never Open ability, which is only once per session. So Ben can't do that again. So it's just going to be a straight up, I think, face duress as he is going to, in the night, fire this shot. So with that in mind, we're going to do 2d6 plus 2 on this as he lines up another shot with his crossbow. 7 on the dice, plus 2 is a 9. So our face duress is going to be, when you do something difficult where your ability to do so is seriously in question, roll plus steady. On 10+, plus, you have achieved what you set out to do. On a 7 to 9, you have flinched, stalled, or hesitated. The MC will pick one or two of the following and tell you what it will look like if you take it. So you can achieve your goal, but it'll come at a price. You can achieve your goal, but only partially... You cannot achieve your goal, but can do something similar instead. So the goal here is to kill the guard. And I think he's going to be able to achieve that. But the price is that the guard is going to be able to call out before he dies. Maybe it's not even a call out, but maybe one of the stone throwers is up relieving himself in the night and hears a a thwomp and a gurgle and has enough presence of mind to call out and start to wake the others. So I think because the stone throwers are these quasi bandits who are camped out in the woods, while they may not be on high alert, they're probably pretty quick to respond when there is a call. So I think as that individual calls out, the camp begins to rouse and there is a moment of chaos as Iron Gull realizing that the element of surprise is effectively lost, calls out and says, Crest! Forward! And the members of the crest draw their blades and axes and hammers and charge into the camp. Ben runs right along with them. And I'm going to make a clock here. And I'm going to make this a big clock because I think there's a decent number of stone throwers. So I'm going to make this a 12-part clock. And for each harm that one of the characters does, we're going to mark off one of the ticks on that clock. As they charge into battle, stone throwers are spilling out of the tents and are grabbing weapons and are trying to figure out what's going on and brace themselves for this assault. And I think because of that, I'm going to give all of my characters a plus one on their first engage in combat role as they are coming on to represent the surprise that they are enacting. If the guard hadn't been able to call out at all, this would be a moot point. They would have just gone through the camp and would have been able to dispatch them without any issue, so I think that was penalty enough for that partial success. So Orchid is actually going to go first because they have not rolled yet in this game, and they are 
a gauntlet, uh, which is the SCUP playbook that I picked for Orchid, and they are all about fighting. So they have Bone Eater, an ornate axe, which is in their hands and is swinging dangerously charging forward, and it is a special weapon. So it has the tags hand, dangerous, and it is unbreakable, which means it can pierce armor. So it does three harm instead of the kind of base two harm, and it is armor piercing. So Orchid is going to charge into battle with their fierce of three, plus one for the surprise. And that's gonna make the add a four to our D6s here. So when you attack someone with the intent to do harm, roll plus fierce, here we go. Seven on the dice plus four is an 11, which is a complete success. So choose one of the following. Attack with vigor, inflict plus one harm, parry their blows, take minus one harm, battle aggressively, inflict plus two harm, but take an additional plus one harm yourself, or fight defensively. Inflict minus one harm, but take an additional two harm to yourself. I'm going to say that Orchid attacks aggressively. So this is going to deal four harm to these stone throwers as they come in with the axe and I think there's a, a group of stone throwers that emerge from this tent and Orchid is swinging the axe around and probably singing some sort of Feromorkian battle song. Because Orchid also got 10 plus, I get to pick one of the following. You stymie your opponent, you are impressive or dominant, you achieve a goal. I think it's definitely just impressive and dominant. So Orchid has gained the attention and respect of those present. That is both the stone throwers and the crest. And uh, I think I'm gonna ask the fate chart real quick if they have any armor on. I think it is basically impossible that they are wearing armor. So our cast rank is seven. Here we go. 70 is a no. No, they are not wearing armor. So that is going to do four ticks on the clock. So that's a third of the clock filled as Orchid wades into battle. And I think with a wide sweep of Bone Eater, crunches through the bodies of three of these stone throwers. And the other two who came out of this tent basically stare in horror as Orchid flicks the blood off the axe and is going to then advance on them. While that's going on, I think Arid is standing back next to Lephalia and is going to also engage in some combat here. So we are going to roll plus Arcane for Arid because he is doing Arcane Malice and it is going to be plus two on this, plus one because of the surprise. That is seven on the dice, plus three is a 10. So on a 10, that is a complete success. Uh, before we deal with the complete success for engage in combat, we are going to have to pick some things from this list for our magic. So the base harm is one, and then I get to pick two from the following list. I can take plus one harm. It can be inconspicuous. It can be have an incredible range. It can harm from within and pierce their armor, or it can shake their nerves. I think I am going to do the plus one harm, of course. So that is going to be two harm on this. And then I think it's going to be a far range. So I think that is going to keep Arid away from danger. And then I also have to pick one from the following list. Attack is violent, add the messy tag. Attack is short range, which I can't take that. Your attack is conspicuous, add the loud tag. Your attack takes a lot out of you. You take harm each time you use it. So I think it is conspicuous. It's definitely loud and flashy. And with a 10 plus, I can attack with vigor, inflict plus one harm, parry their blows, take minus one harm, battle aggressively, fight defensively. 
I think because he is far away, it's going to be fighting defensively because he's basically staying on the back end of the attacking force and throwing magic into this arena. So as fire races through the combat, multiple of these stone throwers are caught in the blast and are screaming in pain and horror as fire is filling this lumber camp. Now, because I also got a 10 plus, I get to pick one of the following. You stymie your opponent, you are impressive or dominant, you achieve a goal. So I think this time it's going to be that some of the stone throwers are trying to flee and he lights uh, the path in front of them on fire where they were headed and they are forced to turn back towards the fighting. Now, because I did fight defensively, that's only going to mark one tick on there, but it is going to keep the stone throwers in the fight. And they are, at this point, severely outmanned by the crest. Now, Ben is also going to engage in combat. And he is going to do so with his Fierce of Two. So here we go. Now, he still has a couple harm on him. So this could turn around poorly for Ben, as it often does. Six on the dice plus two is an eight. So on eight... With Engage in Combat, I can choose one of the following. Attack with Vigor, parry their blows, battle aggressively, or fight defensively. I think he's going to parry their blows. So he finds a couple stone throwers in this melee, and he drives his blade through one, and then the other turns to face him, and they are dancing back and forth, exchanging blows, and then Ben is able to knock his sword aside and slash him across the chest and the stone thrower goes down. So because of my armor of one, I'm not going to take any harm and I'm only going to deal one harm, but that is now taking us to half of this clock. I just realized that I forgot the plus one on Ben's engage in combat since that was his first strike in this battle. But it wouldn't have mattered because it would have taken the 8 from a 9, so the outcome would have been the same. So Orchid is now in the middle of the camp and is just wreaking havoc as they march through the camp, Bone Eater swinging like a dervish in the air striking bone and flesh and sending stone throwers careening away from this dance of death. We're going to roll plus fierce again. That's only a five on the dice. Plus three is an eight. So once again, I can only choose one from the initial list, and that is definitely going to be attack with Vigor again, which is going to deal four more harm as Orchid is crushing through the stone throwers as they are attempting to organize, as they're attempting to flee, like there is no cohesion to this group. The stone throwers are not mercenaries like the crest. The stone throwers are common thugs who have been paid to kill someone and they are no match now that they are on equal footing with numbers for the professionalism of the crest. Now here is the question because we are sitting at two ticks away on this clock from the stone throwers being defeated. I don't think Gimbal is amongst those killed so far, but I'm pretty sure he's going to try and escape. So I think it is basically a near sure thing that he's going to try and escape. So this is going to be a roll on the fate chart, chaos rank of 7, and 42 is a yes. Yes, he is going to try and escape. Now, does anybody see him trying to escape 
And I am going to, I think, leave that up to fate, as it were. And we're going to roll on the fate chart. And I think it is 50-50. It's a little chaotic right now. But I think Ben and Iron Gull and the others are looking for this person because they figured that he's the one they want to talk to about Felhart and what's going on with the shade and all of this stuff. So they are specifically looking for him. So I'm going to say it's 50-50 if they see him in this chaotic melee. So it is... 76, which is exactly a no. I had to get 75 or less to get a yes, so no. No one sees Gimbal, and I think because no one is able to see him, he is going to be able to escape. All right, so we're going to continue the fight. Arid is continuing to unleash his arcane malice on these stone throwers, and he does so at plus two. Six on the dice plus two is an eight. So once again, only picking from the first list on engage in combat. As far as what his magic looks like, it is again going to be harmful, uh, plus one harm. And I think it is going to again be at a considerable range. He's trying to stay out of the general melee as he unleashes another blast of fire. Now, I also have to pick one from the following list. Your attack is violent, and you add the messy tag. Attack is short-ranged, which we can't do. Attack is conspicuous. So I think that is going to be what I pick again. I'm basically going to do all the same stuff. I think it's conspicuous because I think before he goes, Gimbal sees this mage just throwing fire around and it is a pretty impressive display and remember arid had a pretty impressive display at the defara estate as well so people are starting to notice that the crest have not just one very powerful mage but perhaps two powerful mages so that is going to be two harm total from arid and I think I'm going to once again say that he's fighting defensively, which is going to reduce the harm by one, but also mean that Arid is going to take no harm as none of these stone throwers are able to get close. Now we go to Ben as there's only one tick left on this clock. Can he finish it off right here? We're going to engage in combat plus two on this Five on the dice plus two is a seven. So barely squeaks it in there for that partial success. And once again, I'm going to go with parry their blows to take minus one harm. That is going to reduce the amount of harm coming in at Ben to zero with his armor of one. And he is going to strike the last blow and the crest are victorious over the stone throwers. After a few moments of chaos and fire and blood, the camp begins to fall quiet as the only thing remaining are the heavy breathing of the crest soldiers and the groans of the stone throwers who are clinging to the last vestiges of life. As Ben is picking his way through this battlefield, I think he is on the lookout for the Shade. Does he find the Shade alive? I think it's basically impossible that he's going to find the Shade alive, given what we heard from Gimbal in the last episode that Felhart called for the death of the shade. I think it's impossible, but we could be surprised here. There's a 15% chance that we could get a yes that the shade Hannibal is still alive. Let's find out what the dice say. 71. No, we do not find him in the camp. And I think there are enough sort of bloody vestiges that Ben finds while they are searching through the camp that they're able to say for certain that Hannibal the Shade is dead 
and has probably been buried in some grave here in the forest or left to rot even out in the forest. And they will not be finding him alive. As the crest are in the midst of this cleanup after the battle, I think they fared very well. They had surprise on their side. Because I did not roll any misses on those engaged in combats, I think that applies to the rest of the crest soldiers as well that really there were no casualties on the crest side. It was basically just a bloody massacre. And as they are looking through this camp of dead stone throwers, Iron Gall says, I don't see that one who was talking last night. Ben shakes his head and says, No, I I don't see it either. It's possible he escaped in the fight. That's what I'm worried about. If he was really working for Efren Felhart, that means that whatever is going on with the Vidala family and whatever is going on with the King's Word, it could be connected. It could be the reason why he sent these thugs after the Shade to keep them from learning about where the Vidala are. Ben nods and says, If Felhart is our enemy, we may be in some serious trouble. The Royal Dispatch Company, well, its power goes all the way to the Council of Twelve. I don't think there is a more wealthy individual in Hartvale. Even the Ducks is not more wealthy than Efren Felhart. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be the first time that we took on somebody who was more powerful than we are. And Iron Gull looks at Ben and smiles a little bit and says, Don't worry, kid. Spend enough time in the crest and you'll have plenty of experience trying to find a way to slide your dagger into some finely made armor. Now let's get ready to move out We're headed to Veilwater. There's still some questions there that are unanswered. Thanks for listening to Errant Adventures. And thanks so much to Sirenscape for the lovely ambient sounds and music throughout the episode. If you enjoyed the show, please tell anyone and everyone in your life about it. And if you haven't already, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. It really does help others find me. If you want to interact with me, my handle on Instagram and Twitter is at ErrantSolopod, or you can email me at ErrantSolopod at gmail.com. I also post short fiction and campaign-related materials on my website, ErrantAdventuresPod.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.